Memorial Day. The word memorial is, is the root word memory. We're here this morning to remember what's taken place in America and also to understand what Jesus has done. I try to blot out the effects of the war that I grew up in with the terrorism and stuff like that. I just put it to one side. But building up towards the sermon, I'm reminded that freedom comes with a price. There's no freedom without sacrifice, without the shedding of blood. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned. And God had to sacrifice an animal to make them clothing, to cover their nakedness. Genesis chapter 3 verse 21, the Lord gave, sorry, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. From that point, sin has led, a huge, has led towards a huge sacrifice that would free the captives. For people to have freedom to worship God and to glorify God. This morning we have gathered to remember those that have taken what they have seriously. They haven't taken it lightly. They have fought for this country. But the one who made the ultimate sacrifice must never be forgotten, Jesus Christ. We should never forget the sacrifices of men and women who decided to protect freedom, the freedom that America enjoys, and to recognize those who also help those countries who are living in unfair conditions, oppressed conditions, where their freedom has been removed. These are real people. They have names. They went places where we wouldn't go. We need to be grateful to those who protected this freedom we enjoy. And as I looked back in your history to find how and who inspired this nation, how did they get the people to do what they have done? I'd like to read from some of your presidents. There comes a time in affairs of men when they must prepare to defend not their homes alone, but the tenets, the doctrines of faith and humanity on which their churches, their governments, and their very civilization are founded, the defense of religion, of democracy, and of good faith among nations is all the same fight. To save one, we must now make our minds up to save all. Franklin D. Roosevelt. The American people have great genius for splendid and unselfish actions. Into the hands of America, God has placed the destinies of an inflicted mankind. Pope Pius XII. The first and almost the only book deserving of universal attention in this is the Bible. I speak as a man of the world, and I say to you, search the scriptures. John Quincy Adams. In regard to this great book, I have this to say, it is the best gift God has given to man. All the good the Savior gave to the world was communicated through this great book, Abraham Lincoln. 
If you take out of your statutes, your constitution, your family life, all that is taken from the sacred book, what would there be left to bind society together? Benjamin Harrison. Inside the Bible's pages lie all the answers to all the problems man has ever known. The Bible can touch our hearts, our minds, order our minds, and refresh our souls. Ronald Reagan. The torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans. Born in this century, tempered by war, disciplined by hard and bitter peace. Proud of our ancient heritage and unwilling to witness or permit the slow undoing of those human rights to which this nation has always been committed. In the long history of the world, only a few generations have been granted the role of defending freedom in its hour of maximum danger. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. The glow from that fire can truly light the world. And so, my fellow Americans, I ask not what your country can do for you. I ask what you can do for your country. With a good conscience, our only sure reward, with history the final judge of our deeds, let us go forth to lead the land we love, asking his blessing and his help, but knowing that here on earth God's work must truly be our own. John F. Kennedy. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus. That's what it's all about, right there. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. I do what I do here because I love you guys. I love the people of this nation. I'm willing to lay down my life for God's word, for his truth, to help you, to help my family and anyone in need. Look what Jesus is saying. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This nation has exampled that for a very long time. When God called Moses to go and be Israel's leader, God showed Israel that there is no freedom without the shedding of blood. God prepared Israel for his last sign. In, Je- in Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 through 23, and verse 29, I'll read them to you. It says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin, and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and to the two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. Next verse is, I have a heading in my Bible, and it says, A Memorial of Redemption. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door 
and will not allow the destroyer to come in to your houses to smite you. Verse 29. Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. And then God prepared them further. Scriptures tells us what God says in Genesis chapter 13, verse 17. Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, listen to this, the people might change their minds when they see war. You hear that? The people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. God was going to give them a land, a promised land, an awesome land. But they will have to fight for it. They will have to defend it. And He's going to teach them. So those that have been reading through the Bible with me can relate to this. There's a lot of battles, a lot of wars, a lot of killing. God gave your ancestors, America, this huge continent. Where did those ancestors come from? From Europe. And then God trusted them. They trusted God. They fought for this land and they have continued to defend this land. Many lives sacrificed for this land of freedom. And they have passed on the baton to those like Daniel, Logan, possibly my son Scott, I mean Travis, sorry. Getting old. Ooh. And when I remember sitting in uh, Tra- Travis's graduation and they asked the students to stand up, those that have joined the military, men and women, stood up. Wow. They're going to go out and defend this country, this freedom. Look how young they are. I only remembered how young we were in Rhodesia. We were 17 when we were called out to full battle. No boot camps. So young. God is asking the rest of us to remain good stewards of this land. God is asking men to step up, to be leaders, to be a godly man, a good husband. We all know the one who has set this standard for us to follow. The one who gave his life for his friends. Those were his words. And he fulfilled his words. And that is Jesus Christ. He went to the cross to set us free. So let's take a look at Luke, if you turn with me in your Bibles, to see what, how Luke has continued to take us along Jesus' journey to the cross. Chapter 7, verse 40. And last week we looked at the Pharisee, whose name is Simon, inviting Jesus to come and dine with him. And while he's dining there and reclining at the table, a woman comes in, is described as a sinner, and they believe that she was probably a prostitute. And Simon thinks in his heart, 
well, if this man is a prophet, he should know that this is an unclean woman touching him. And Jesus, knowing his thoughts, says this in verse 40, And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Well, say it, teacher. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wept my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want you to underline that in your Bible, that last part. Your faith, your faith, your faith, your faith. It's personal. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. As simple as that. How is your peace in your life? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Looking back at that first verse, the denarii was equivalent to a day's wages. So five denarii was 500 days of wages. That is a huge amount. And the other only 50 days. What's your story? What has the Lord forgiven you for? What is it worth to you? Has He forgiven you much? Has He forgiven you little? In your view of your life, you may have done nothing wrong or was saved at a young age and life has been gentle with you. You feel that you do not have a big story, a testimony, a debt to the Lord. I remember at Frontier School of the Bible, the young people coming in that were saved when they were younger. And they would hear testimonies of those that were saved much later in life. And they would come and say to me, you know, wow, I don't have a story like yours. You know, I I haven't got anything. Well, I would rather have their story. They thought that they didn't count. I said to them, you owe the Lord big time. You owe the Lord as much as I owe him. All you have to do is look around and see 
what's taking place with people around you in your life. And you are not making those mistakes because you trust in the Lord. You can see how people are making wrong choices, people that are walking in darkness. You owe the Lord big time. Every hour, every minute, we should be giving thanks to the Lord. The earlier you receive Jesus Christ, the better. But you owe Him big time. Just as the person who owed 500 and the other one 50. And those who have made some wrong choices, rejected the Word of God, rejected the Bible, has any part of their lives. Well, God will forgive you no matter what you have done or thought. I've had many men come up to me and say, well, Wayne, you have no understanding of what I have done. No, I don't. But God does. He meets you right where you sit, where you live. And He will not give up. Nothing separates God's love for you. It's your choice. If you choose Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today, I can guarantee you, you will never regret this moment. It'll change your life. It'll turn it around. God will help you make the right choices. You will help your family, your friends. So if your heart is pounding this morning, then listen to the call of God. Asking Him to forgive you. Invite Him into your life. Do it now. Simon and the woman were both sinners. Simon was guilty of sin of the Spirit, especially pride. While the woman was guilty of sins of the flesh. Her sins were known while Simon's sins were hidden to everyone else except to God. Both were in debt to God. And Simon did not know it or realize it. So what are you doing behind closed doors? What are you doing in your office? What are you doing when you think nobody knows what you're doing? God knows. He sees you doing it. Forgiveness is a gift from God's grace. The debt was paid in full by Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood for the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. The woman accepted God's free offer of salvation and expressed it by her love. Can you imagine, just imagine with me, this is a group of men around the table. You've seen pictures of how these Pharisees dressed, how intimidating they were, arrogant. They had no time for sinners, the sick, the lame, prostitutes. They went out sharing the gospel. They weren't out reaching out to someone to be saved. This woman arrives. And as I told you last week, this was a typical situation. If a rabbi was invited to recline at the table for a meal, other people could come around the building and stand and listen to the wisdom that's shared around the table. But she pushed through the crowd straight to the table, to Jesus' feet. Incredible courage. Bravery. This reminded me that we cannot change in isolation. So I want to ask you, I watched a 
film some time back, Faith Like Potatoes. And I remember when Angus Buchan got saved, the preacher said to him, Angus, I want you to do something for me when you leave here. And he said, what is that? He said, I want you to go out this door and tell three people what has just happened. And he said, okay. He walked out the door, was crossing the street, and here came one of his buddies, his drinking buddies. And he quickly turned left to duck away from him. And his buddy saw him and chased him and said, hey, what are you doing? Ah, uh, I don't know. So, well, come on. He says, no, I can't. Uh, I'll tell you what, I've got to tell you something. He says, well, let's go to the bar and have a beer and you can tell me there. And he went to the bar, sat there, and you could see him struggling with this to tell his friend he had accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. But he did. So I want to challenge you all this morning. When you step out this door today, I want you to tell three people that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want you to tell him what he's done for you. Why do you love him? How has he changed your life? We cannot change anybody's life or our own lives or see God working unless we're bold and want to do that. God wants us to be bold, brave, to be alive in Christ, expressing our love for him to those around us coming together to worship. But look at this verse, Matthew chapter 10, verse 33. So if you're sitting here saying, oh, Wayne's on his roll again, like trying to get us out there to share the gospel. Look at Jesus says here, but whoever disowns me before others, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Are you proud of having Jesus in your life? You should be. Just look at this Simon character in the Word. He is rejecting Jesus even when Jesus has revealed to him what he's thinking in verse, nine, in verse 39. Even after everything this Pharisee, this religious man has seen, heard, he still refused to believe. And he remained unforgiven. Simon saw himself as a pure and righteous and therefore did not need to treat Jesus in any special manner whatsoever. I've met a lot of self-made successful men in business they do not need Jesus. I made myself successful. I'm powerful. I have what I have because I, I, I did it. They don't need to treat Jesus in any special manner. Ask yourself, do you treat Jesus in any special manner of your life? In fact, he did not even extend to Jesus here the traditions that were common at that time. In effect, he did not seem to think Jesus could do anything for him. A lot of people do not believe what they read when it says God is God of the impossible. Just this week, I spent time in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 15, in a situation with three kings got together to go to battle, but they didn't plan it very well and they ran out of water for the men and for their animals. And then they thought, oh boy, what are we going to do now? Oh, I remember about God. Let's see if we can find a prophet who could inquire of the Lord what we should do next. And the Lord says, dig in, dig some ditches. 
But I'm going to tell you something. You are not going to see the wind. And you are not going to see the rain. But your men and your animals will drink. And then it says right there at the last next part, it says, listen to this. And this matter for the Lord is small. And right at that time, I had the news about um, Chris Cooper, and I was praying about that and thinking, what, what are we doing now, Lord? What's happening here? And that verse, this is how I read the word and want to receive from God. He was saying, dig in, Wayne. Get to the office. Do what I called you to do. Because this is a small matter for the Lord. Later on that day, someone did come into my office and just encouraged me incredibly. And then another one came. And I could see God handling this in his way. I did not see it come that way. Like you would expect the wind to start bringing the clouds. Then it's going to rain. Oh, well, there we go. That's how it works. No, he showed another miracle. Not only that, that miracle of providing the water. Those ditches filled up water for the army and the animals. The enemy, in the sunlight of the next day, thought that was blood. So they thought the Israelites had killed each other. These three kings had gone nuts because they were thirsty. So they come charging into the camp, straight into an ambush. God gets the victory. God gets victory of everything. You have this freedom because of God, not of yourselves. So going back to Simon, what did he forget to do? It was a tradition, and that's hospitality. This was something Simon the Pharisee neglected. It just shows what he thought of Jesus. Going right back in Genesis chapter 18, verse 4, it says, Please... Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. 19 verse 2 it says, And he said, Now behold, my Lord, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. This is hospitality. 43 verse 24 says, The man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water and they washed their feet and they gave fodder to the donkeys. In Judges 19.21 it says, so he took him into the house and gave the donkey fodder, and they washed their feet and ate and drank. It was part of their custom. But this man did not respect Jesus. The book of Hebrews reminds us here in this room, in chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Let love of the brethren continue. Do not ne neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this some have entertained angels, angels without knowing it. One of the summers in uh, Lagrange, when I was at Frontier School of the Bible, my boys and I were talking, and they'd been on a trip with their friend and been through some of the Indian reservations, and kind of put them in a in a box, you could say. They said to me, "You know, Dad, they they're just all drunks. They've amounted to nothing. They just they, it's just a, a terrible thing." They're not going to be able to do anything. I said, no, don't say that. Don't put all of them in one box. I am sure there's a lot that have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They've seen God do the impossible, and their lives have changed. You can't do that. Anyway, the conversation ended. The next day, I went for my walk and up the mountain, pray, and came back down. Get to the front door, and here's this little guy standing at my front door. The door was open, so I thought, well, Linda must have met him. And he was brown, really brown. Big straw cowboy hat turned around. And as I looked into his eyes, I just felt this peace. And I said to him, shook his hand, said, you want a cup of coffee? 
and I just walked in. He said, are you inviting me in? I said, yes, I am. Come on in. You want a cup of coffee? He said, sure. I sat down, and Linda came through, and, we, and he said, are you guys Christians? And he said, yes, we are. He says, me too. I said, really? That's awesome. He says, yeah. And he got talking a little bit more, and he said, you know what? I'm feeling really excited. Can I sing you a psalm? I said, from the Bible? He said, yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. Well, hold on a second. Travis, Scott, get in here. Sit down. And he stood up with his most powerful opera voice and sang us this psalm. It just gave me goosebumps. I was looking at my boys, looking at him. And I'm going, yeah, you see this? Anyway, he went on to share that he was part of that program where they took the Indian boys to boarding schools and teach them the American way. And he was sharing all about this and his excitement for the Lord. And I was looking at my boys, looking at him, and I'm thinking, wow, God, you are amazing again. And then he said, you know what? When I trusted the Lord and started to focus on changing my life to help my people, man, my life just took off. In fact, I've got to show you something. Do you guys know Ronald Reagan? I said, well, I don't know him, but I know about him. He said, well, well, just hold on. He runs to his car, comes back with a photograph. And there's a photograph of Ronald Reagan. Guess who's standing next to him? My little Indian fellow. So I said to the boys, oh, check this, eh? Amazing. Then the next day, I go for my walk again, come back. And here comes this little fella again. And Linda reminded me after the first service, I forgot his name. His name was, he was given a Christian name, Paul. So his name was Paul. And at this time, as I said to you, I was struggling, trying to figure out things. I was grumpy. I was just agitated. I wasn't hearing from the Lord. And, he, and every time he came near me, I just, whoa, this peace came over me. We sat down. I said, you want some coffee? Yep. We sat on the porch. And I felt the Lord say, be still. And so I did. I didn't say anything. This guy started teaching me about your constitution. He even bought me a little book. He started telling me about America and how much he loves America. What a great nation it is. And then he would just stand up and say, okay, i got to go. And he'd go. I was like, okay. Three days, my little Indian came and did the same thing on the porch and cheered me up. And I'd listen to him, and then he didn't come on the fourth day. But I was so excited about this whole thing. I ran around my neighbors, and we lived in a trailer park. You know how those trailers stick together like that, and everyone's looking out the window to see what you're up to. And, and across the road, I had all the professors wanting to know what I'm up to, and they're staring out their windows. So I knew they must have seen me with this Indian character. So I ran there and went knocking on the door and said, Guys, did that Indian come and see you? What Indian? The one that was sitting on my porch, the one that came for the last three days. Uh, no. And I saw my neighbors. They're very nice. They were walking past the window looking out. Did you remember that Indian that was sitting with me talking? No. I don't remember. He didn't come to your house? Whew. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Her faith in turn caused her to respond in love. Jesus made it clear that it was her faith alone that saved her. Verse 15. For no amount of good works can pay for salvation. Nor should we think that lost sinners are saved by love, or either God's love for them, or their love for God. God's, God loves the whole world. John chapter 3, verse 16. Yet the whole world is not saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Grace is love that pays a price. And that price was the death of the Son of God on this cross. The woman's tears, kisses, and gift of oil was evidence of her faith. Faith without works is dead, says James. We are not saved by faith and works. We are saved by faith that leads to works. So what are you doing with your faith? With your understanding of the word of God? With your blessing? With your freedom in this country? Galatians 5, 6 says, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Wow. Do you love your neighbor? Do you love the people you're working with? Do you love those people you see making wrong choices? I went through some verses in the New Testament where Jesus says the same thing. He says, seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. But Jesus turning and seeing her said, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. That last one reminds me, just a week before coming to Frontier School of the Bible, my right eye goes blind. I just wake up and there's this huge pain in my right eye and I cannot see anything. That was frightening. And guess who I blamed? God. God, I can't believe you're allowing this to happen. God, why are you doing this to me? I'm going to Frontier School of the Bible. I've got to read the Bible. I've got to study books. How can this happen? I quickly went to the eye clinic to see a doctor. He looked and went, wow. It kind of resembles these three cases that he found on the internet. And he says they've never been able to fix it. I don't know what to do for you, but... Uh, and I said, but I've got to go to Bible school. I've got to read the Word. I've got to read a lot of books, I believe. I can't do it with one eye. And he said, well, I don't know what to do. I'll tell you what, I'll give you this bottle of stuff. And on every hour on the hour, I want you to put it in your eye. There's a patch, off you go. So I went home, swapped rooms with Travis, and slept in his bed and set my watch. On the hour, every hour, I prayed. And I prayed. I said, God, you've got to give me both my eyes. Please, please, squirt, squirt in my eye. <laughs> and you know what? At first couple of hours, I doubted. I doubted. Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Wow. I had to have faith that he was going to pull this off. I started to change that prayer and really believe. I woke up the next morning and my eye was fine. We went back to the eye clinic straight away, ran in there, whoa, you got to check my eye, look. And another guy came and he had a look and he looked at what they had seen the day before. And I said, man, that stuff that you gave and where I come from, we call medicine Moody. I said, that Moody that you gave me is magic. And he said, no, there's no magic in here. He said, what we did is just gave you some solution there just to, it's, it's, it's no medicine in it. We felt sorry for you. We gave you some liquid to put in there to, you know, just calm you down. He says, this is an impossibility. Your eye is working. He was shocked. He called the other one over and said, 
Just have a look at this guy's eye. Amazing. Jesus' words of forgiveness were not cheap words. When he says he'll forgive you, it came with a price. Huge price. His blood was shed for freedom and eternal life. Those presidents that I read those quotes from for you, they believed this. The miracle of salvation has to be the greatest miracle of all. For it meets the greatest needs. It brings the greatest results in your life. And they last forever. But it did cost Jesus. It did cost people of this nation to retain this freedom for you to worship God. It cost their lives. They shed blood and they're in those graves. Don't take this lightly, the shedding of blood. This woman encourages us to believe that Jesus can take a sinner and make him and her a child of God. So when you're looking at someone that's really bad or done and you know about them or what they've done, remember, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than, the one, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. We need to speak. We need to be a part of this saving. Bringing freedom to someone's life. And you have to lay down your life to do this. Because the people are putting rules to stop the word of God going where it should go. You have to start thinking about laying your life down. We need to share the good news. Being silent is not going to help anyone. I was asked why America is so successful by some Africans when I lived in Africa. We built this hotel with just local street people. And once it was up, we integrated them into becoming waiters and cleaners, whatever they wanted, receptionists. And when we got the restaurant going, these guys that wanted to be waiters, we trained them up, gave them a uniform, and they were, were all like a big family. And then my foreign guests came, Americans came. And while they were serving them, every time they bought a glass of water or their food, they put both hands out like this which was very respectful in that tradition, two hands out. They kept doing it every time somebody asked to bring something. Eventually, a guest came through to me and said, what does this mean? I think I know what it means. I said, what do you think it means? He said, they want me to give them a tip. He said, you're right. He said, well, so are we supposed to? And I said, no, I'll have a word with them. So I called the guys in and I said, what are you doing by doing this? I told you at the end of the meal when we give them the bill, they'll give a tip and it's yours. No, no, no. These people are rich. They are successful. I said, how do you know that? And he says, well, goes to my um, bookings file and says, well, look, these people are from America. I said, so what's that got to do with it? No, he took out a newspaper. Look, America gives foreign aid to Mugabe, who steals it. This country, that country, gives all this money but we don't see it. We're starving. We have no hotel, no um, clinics, hospitals, or schools, or clothing. But look, it's got lots of zeros. That's big money. So I'm just saying, give it to us. I'll use it better. And I said, oh, man. And then we sat down and I said to them, I got to tell you, you know why? You asked me the question, why is America so successful? So I want everybody here to take out their wallet, if you will. 
take out your wallet and grab a note. And you need to do this because this will show you how interested you are to do something out of the norm. Take out some money. Go on. Because this is the best evangelistic tool in the third world countries. Whoever did this and created your money was given a great inspiration from the Lord. You got your money out there, Joe? (laughs) Well, look on the back of your note. The United States of America, in God we trust. You're going to have to fight for this, to keep that on there. You know, this is the greatest tool to start a conversation in any other country in the world. You know, they trade with your money. Go to any third world country, they want the U.S. dollar. They want to, you to give them U.S. dollars. Not the pound, not the euro. They want this. So I sat down and I said, you want to know why this country is so successful? Read this to me. In God we trust. So do we have God in our country? No bus. We kicked him out a long time ago. This is why he's so successful. Look what your presidents wrote about this country. Reminding you where your source, your power, your victory is in Jesus. In God we trust. But they're going to fight you for this. They want to take that off your note because it's impacting the world. People are touching your money and it has God's name on it. In God we trust. What do they want to do? They want to see their nations changed. And you are the light, that one president said. You are the light. Wherever I've traveled, before I got to come here, that's all I heard from people. Man, have you ever been to America? And I would say, no, no. I'm hoping, praying one day I will. Me too. What a nation. What a nation. Let's let's never lose sight of this all. This is faith, trusting God to lay down one's life for one's friends. Tell someone what Jesus has done for you and for them, even though they don't know him. Tell him. And this is the day to do it because you can interact and involve it in all that the soldiers have done in the past in this nation. Because they are allowed to live here in freedom because of that. Now for some of us here, this is the time for you to believe in Jesus Christ. This last slide, I want you to look up at the slide there at this verse. Very important verse for this nation. I found this last summer at um, Ranch's camp. An old man came with a walker up to the top of this mound, came up to where Linda and I were, and he said to me, Wayne, we've been doing this camp for hundreds of years. It's been a long time. I can't remember. I was tiny, but it come up. But there's something we have stopped doing. And I said, oh, what's that? He says, come with me. So for the past two days, he'd been doing this walk by himself further up the mountain to a beautiful point of it. And cleared it. And so when we, when he walked his walker up there and I followed him, we get up to this top with the most magnificent view of the world. And two benches were there. Stone benches. And he said, you see this? I said, yes. We used to do this, men. We used to come together 
up on this mountaintop and pray. And then it stopped. And I have been sitting listening to you and thinking about, how did that stop? Why have we stopped praying? We don't pray. I'd been there three days. They didn't pray. So he asked, would you be willing to bring the men that are down there at the camp every morning up here and every evening to pray? I said, sure. All right, okay. Yep, let's see. We walked down together, and I was praying on the way down. God, how do I lead a group of men in prayer up on this mountaintop? I just kept praying over lunch, and this verse popped into my mind. I asked the men to join me. They came. Cowboys took their hats off, and I read this verse. When I looked up, it was not a dry eye. And they all looked at each other and said, why, why have we stopped praying for our nation, for our family and friends? God is the God of the impossible, but if we're not going to pray and talk to him and ask him to do the most amazing things, we won't see victory. Would you close with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you have done in this nation. Father, we ask that you would continue to bring victory here, that your name would be glorified and honored in the way it should. Father, we ask that you would help us to go out of these doors today and speak to three people about what you have done in our lives, what you mean to us, like this woman did who knelt down, wept at Jesus' feet. She openly displayed her love and her faith. Father, we thank you for what you have done. We ask that you would continue to help us grow in the word and be strong and to be able to be brave and courageous to speak about it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.